Well, good evening, students of Clifford Baptist Church. Thank you for joining me on another Wednesday night study. I'm so thankful that you are with me as we open God's Word together tonight. I will remind you, if you haven't done this already, uh, go to the website and get your study page. Of course, it's a page that's dated and tells us where we are in this lesson number 14. Uh, but I want you to run that off tonight. Keep it in your notes because we're going to be talking about the judges of Israel. And the 16 names of those judges are on your study sheet tonight. So we won't go through every one of those names and they'll be available to you. So if you don't have your study sheet that's provided for you on the website, I hope you'll go there and pull it off uh, after our study. It'll give you a few of those names that uh, will apply to this study tonight. But I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being with me. I'm always looking forward to these moments that we share together, be it on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Of course, this coming Sunday, uh, we're going to have one-third of the congregation coming, the I through P names of our congregation. Uh, and so if your name, your last name starts in that lineup, please do come join us on this coming Sunday morning. If you're visiting with us tonight for our Bible study, uh, all of our visitors are welcome to come into the sanctuary on Sunday morning. So if you would like to come visit with us, we'd love to have you do that. But thank you for joining me tonight for another installment in our study as we're looking at the thread that runs through the Bible. And so as we begin, let's start with a word of prayer. Our Lord, our God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how precious your word is to us, Lord. And when we're truly a student of the Bible, Father, we know that we're challenged by your word. We know, Father, that we're challenged to be a student. We know we're challenged to study uh, and to be faithful in going through the words of your Bible, Lord. And so I pray that tonight you will challenge us and you will give us what we need in order to understand this love letter that you've written to us, Lord. It is not a disconnected group of stories uh, strung together, but rather, Lord, it is one love letter that comes to us, a story of your love for us, Father. Uh, and so I pray that you bless us as we study it together, as we open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to hear your truth. And tonight, Lord, I thank you for every student that joins me here uh, as we open your word, Father, to glean the truth that you have given to us, Lord. This is a book that only you could have written, and we thank you that it is just as modern today as it was so many years ago, Father. The truth has not dimmed in your story, in your book that you have given to us. So bless us as we study it tonight together, Lord. We ask you to pull up beside us and you be our teacher, Father. I pray you will speak through me and that I will be a learner as well. We are so grateful to be together in, in this time that we share in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight as we begin, we are on lesson number 14. So we are nearing the halfway point of our study. 30 to 32 lessons are going to give us an entire panorama of the stretch of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. And tonight on Lesson 14, we are going to be studying the leadership of the judges of Israel. Uh, this is under the same heading that we've been under for several weeks now, uh, the Exodus and the Promised Land. So tonight, we're going to continue on in a study. But tonight, I want you to know that as we study in this lesson number 14, we're changing gears in our study. Uh, for, the, for the past studies that we've done from 1 through 13, we have been on a very slow journey. Uh, we have been looking at 
uh, facts and people one by one over these last 13 lessons. And tonight we're going to move kind of from a donkey to a jet. We're going to pick up the pace and change the gear as we go into a higher uh, speed for our study from this point forward. Uh, in our study thus far, let me give you a little bit of where we've been, so if you're just joining us, you will know where we are tonight as we pick up our study. We've had a, a painstaking look of God's creation uh, through the lives of the patriarchs. We see the creation of the universe leading us to God's call of Abraham uh, and the patriarchs of Israel, Abraham and his son Isaac, and Isaac's son Jacob, and Jacob. Jacob's 12 sons, which form the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And we especially took uh, a night to look at the life of Joseph, uh, an, an interesting life of this man who started out being sold into slavery and hated by his brothers, and yet he rose to leadership in Egypt and ultimately saved the life of his family and the life of a nation. An interesting study. Uh, and in uh, these roughly 30 lessons that we're going to be together in, we have given so much time in nine lessons to simply studying the book of Genesis. Uh, the guiding principle for nearly one-third of our study is this book. And the reason for that is, as I've said before, let me say it again, if you do not understand the book of Genesis, you cannot understand the remainder of the Bible. It sets the foundation that all of the Bible sits on, and so the study of Genesis is a very, very important study. So nine lessons stayed in the book of Genesis. Uh, so... It's time well spent as we've looked at the headwaters of the Bible. Then we spent four lessons on Israel's exodus out of slavery in Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And their entry in the promised land with Joshua replacing Moses as their leader. Moses led Israel for 40 years. He led them through their wilderness wanderings. And yet when it came time for them to cross over the Jordan River and go into the promised land and begin conquering that land, Joshua was their leader. So in 13 lessons out of the 30, we have been slow, we have been detail-oriented and methodical looking at the formation and the guidance of the nation of Israel. But tonight, lesson number 14, we're going to speed up the pace. Once Israel was established in the promised land, in the land of Canaan, they entered a period of time where God led them by a series of leaders called judges. The judges were God's men, and there was one woman in this group who led Israel in a course of their history. Every judge led Israel as the representative of God, giving God's word to the nation. Now, I will say this. As we look at the nation of Israel claiming the promised land and living in Canaan, this is a new era of their history as they are led by the judges. They're no longer led by the patriarchs. They're led by these judges who represent God. This is an intersection of Israel's history where a lot of Bible students get a little bit lost and a little bit hazy on the history of Israel. So I want you to know that the upcoming lessons that we're going to be, especially as we look from this point through the close of the Old Testament, these lessons are going to be involved, they're going to be somewhat detailed as we look at God's timeline for God's people and we see God's timeline chronologically as we are traveling through the Bible. My 
my word to you, my direction to you is please get out some paper and take a few notes just to keep your mind on track as we go through a lot of this historical account of where Israel is going under the hand of God tonight beginning under the leadership of the judges of Israel. Take some notes. Now, naturally, this period of Israel uh, in, in their history, uh, this is where, as they are led by the judges, we find the story of the leading of the judges by, naturally, the book of Judges, in your Old Testament. So tonight I want you to take your Bible, turn there. I have a few passages of Scripture that I'll use before we get to Judges, but you open your Bible to Judges, and I'll tell you to take down some Scripture that you might want to refer to a little later. When Joshua died, as Israel was in the land of Canaan, in the promised land that God had given to them, the Israelites had conquered, now listen to this very important fact, the Israelites had conquered most of the promised land. Under God's word, God said, I want you to conquer all the people of all the land of Israel. But what I'm saying to you tonight is when Joshua died, they had conquered most of the promised land, most of the people of the promised land. Listen very carefully. If you remember, under God's direction, he says, I want you to take all of the land of Israel. Write this reference down. Numbers chapter 33, verses 50 through 53. Let me write, read those verses to you. This is God's direction to Israel as they were going to conquer the promised land. Numbers 33, verses 50 through 53. Listen to these words. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their pictures and destroy all their molten images and quite pluck down all their high places. And ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. Now notice what God says to Israel. When you go in to possess the land of Canaan, the land I have promised to you, I want you to drive out all of the inhabitants. I want you to shut down all of their high places of worship that they were worshiping idols and false gods. I want you to take all of the land and I want you to take all of the inhabitants out. So God instructed Israel to totally possess the land of Israel, to destroy, to drive out all the inhabitants of the land, and to destroy all the idol and idol worship of that land. Wipe them out. Now, this is where a lot of people say, wait a minute now, hold on. So God tells Israel to go into Canaan land, go into the promised land, and to kill and to wipe out all the inhabitants of that land, and a lot of people will say that doesn't sound like the character of God for him to order his people Israel to kill all of the inhabitants of Canaan land. And many people criticize this area and this section of the Bible for God, they say, is cruel. God is a cruel God that he would order Israel to go in and to completely decimate the land so that they can possess it for themselves to kill populations of people. But I want you to listen to this. Take down this note. It is extremely important. Yes, God did order Israel to kill the inhabitants of the land, to clear it out, to get rid of the idol worship, to get rid of the images, to get rid of the pictures. Yes, God did tell them to do that. 
but I want you to listen to why God told them to do that. Canaan was filled with people who were so far away from God, they would never come back. Now, God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. God would accept anyone who will make a U-turn out of their sin, asking forgiveness, coming to Him. But these people were so lost and so wicked and so rebellious and so gone that they would never come back. Their sin was horrible. I'm going to describe just a little bit of their sin to you tonight, but I'm going to give you just a snippet of their sin. It even included sexual acts with animals. That in the Bible is called bestiality. According to my study, God told Israel in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 15, these words. Write down that reference, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 15. Listen to what God says to Israel. Leviticus 20, 15. And if a man lie with a beast... He shall surely be put to death, and ye shall slay the beast. So God acknowledges that this kind of sin absolutely does take place. When He is addressing His people, He addresses this particular sin. Well, then look at the words, write this reference down, listen to these words Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. Listen to these words Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. But the cities of these people, and of course we're talking now about the Canaanites, the people who are living in the promised land. But the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God does give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. That's amazing. Save alive nothing that breatheth. But thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that they teach you not to do after all their abominations which they have done unto their gods. So should ye sin against the Lord your God. So, In Deuteronomy chapter 20, God tells His people, when you go into this promised land, you are to wipe out everything that breathes. You are to leave no one living in this land. Animals were included in this invasion of righteousness. Why kill the animals? Because they were part of the sin in this sin of bestiality. And so God is telling the Israelites, I want this land cleansed. If you're going to take possession of it, you have to take it in righteousness. And I want it cleansed. I want it cleaned. I want it completely mopped out of its sin and taken care of so that you can live there in righteousness. Now, here's what I'm bringing you to this point to say this. When we're seeing what God is saying here to to take care of this land and to, to kill all that breathes and to possess the land, everything to be destroyed, this is very unpleasant information, I know. But you, as a student of the Bible, you need to know why God ordered the complete decimation of this people of Canaan and their property. The reason God led His people to clear out the land and all the inhabitants of the land is because this land was consumed 
in wickedness. This land was consumed in unrighteousness. It was engulfed in evil. These people living in what Israel would call their promised land, these people who lived there were so depraved in sin that they were beyond redemption. They could never come back to God. They would never come to God. And so God says, wipe them out. Now, according to a study that I found uh, through the North American Mission Board, in addition to this awful sin that I have just mentioned, they also widely practiced child sacrifice. They practiced incest. They practiced gross, immoral unthinkable behavior. In fact, I read of some of the behavior of the Canaanites living in the promised land, and it is so wicked, I will not even describe it to you on a public forum. It was that bad. It was that lost. It was that wicked. It was that depraved. And God said, my people cannot live among this horrible wickedness. So, wipe them out. Decimate the land. Claim it for righteousness because the land is so defiled it needs a clean start and there's no cleanliness in what is going on there now. Okay, we move on now to the next part of our study. Listen very carefully. As for the most part, Israel did move into the promised land. Israel did decimate most of the promised land of Canaan. They drive out and they destroy most of the Canaanite population. But listen, they didn't destroy it all. They did not do exactly what God told them to do. They did destroy most of it, but they didn't destroy all of it. And if you remember that passage uh, that I read to you tonight, God said, decimate it all. Don't leave anything standing. Don't allow any idol worship to take place. Destroy all of those high places of worship of idols. Destroy the people, all of it. If you remember in that passage, he says, do it all. Take them all. Destroy it all. But they didn't. And that becomes a great problem because those pockets of Canaanites that they allowed to live became friendly with the Israelites. So that means righteousness had wickedness mingling among it. You see that? Righteousness had wickedness around the edges because there were Canaanites who were allowed to live and they these two groups, the Israelites and the Canaanites began to get friendly and so righteousness was mingling with wickedness. That was exactly against God's law and God's word to them. And over time, the Israelites began to worship the gods of those leftover Canaanites. And they intermarry. And because they intermarry, idol worship then, introduced by the Canaanite spouses, come into the Israelite families, and there's a tremendous problem. Israel is being led away from God because they allowed wickedness in Canaan to continue to live and they adopted into their own lifestyles. It's a true problem. Israel is walking away from God. Israel becomes polytheistic. Rather than worshiping God and God alone, now they're worshiping God a little bit and false idols a little bit and their lost lifestyles. And so Israel is walking away from God because they did not do exactly what God told them 
to do. And sin becomes entrenched in Israel's own lives. Israel becomes grossly compromised because they let pockets of evil survive. Now listen to that point. Israel, the people of God, become compromised because they allow pockets of evil to exist among them. Now that's a truth not just for the Old Testament. That's a truth for us today, in this age, in this time, in these days. It's extremely dangerous, church. The people of God call the church. It's extremely dangerous for us, the church, when the church starts to get friendly with that which is evil. When we get friendly with that which is against the Word of God. Do I hear an amen there? We start to compromise our ministry and our life under the Word of God when we start to compromised by inviting evil into our midst. When we start to get friendly with evil practices and unrighteousness, we get in trouble. Just as Israel got in trouble here, we see Israel falling away from God. The church can get in that same pattern. We have to be very, very careful. Examples of that. When the church begins to affirm marriage of couples that God says that's not a godly lifestyle. When the church begins marrying those couples, we're inviting evil into our midst because we're compromising what the Word of God says. When the church allows leadership from people God says are living ungodly lifestyles, when the church allows ungodly people to begin leading the congregations, we're going to be in trouble. Now, I'm not saying that sinless people are going to lead the congregations. If you need a sinless guy leading the congregation, I'm going to have to quit my job. I'm not talking about sinlessness. All of us sin. All of us have our faults. All of us fall away. But when we live blatantly bad lifestyles that are against the Word of God, the church will be in trouble when it's led by individuals who are blatantly living against the Word and the will and the direction of God. We are inviting evil to lead us in our midst. It's the same pattern that we see here in Israel in Canaan. When the church decides that there is some Scripture that we can use and preach on and affirm, but then there's other Scripture that we'll simply ignore, the church is inviting evil, and the church is inviting unrighteousness. We are to abide by every word of the Word of God. It is not our right to be able to choose that which we're going to follow and that which we're going to ignore. We have to follow all of the righteous Word of God. When we start choosing what we're going to follow and what we're going to ignore, we're inviting evil into our midst. We have to be very careful. Evil can get a foothold in the church just as easily as evil got a foothold in Israel's life. So what will happen as a result of Israel's disobedience here in Canaan? Okay, here's where we enter the book of Judges. Look at Judges chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Judges chapter 2, go to verse 11. And this is what happens as a result of Israel's disobedience, inviting evil into their midst. Judges 2, uh, as we head to verse 11. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baalim, 
which is a false god. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed." Do you hear what this passage of the Bible says in Judges chapter 2? That God honored His promise to them. That if they would step away from Him in evil, that He would step back from them and allow them into their evil ways. And that's exactly what happens. Now, Israel's in trouble. Israel stepped away from God. God has stepped away from them, allowing the evil to take place in them. In order to lead Israel back to God in this period of their sin and immorality, God raises up leaders in this section of history to lead Israel back where they need to be with Him. These leaders are called judges. Write that word down. This covers a span of history where men and one woman were called as judges. There were 16 of them in this span of history that leads Israel uh, in this time of their evil lives, leading them back to God. But listen, as we look at this section of the judges, here's the cycle that you're going to see over and over in these 16 judges. Here's a cycle that Israel lives with each passing judge. The people fall into sin. They've already fallen into sin, as we've heard here. So God raises up a judge to preach righteousness to them and bring them back. But then, as Israel gets back on track, that judge will die, and they go back into their wickedness. And when they go back into rebellion, God brings them back into punishment, and the people cry out for forgiveness, and God raises up another judge, and and the judge brings them back to righteousness. But that's the cycle that they go through. So it's, it's up and down. The judge brings them back, and then the judge dies, and they fall back away. And, and it's up and down with the coming and the going of the judges. This period of the judges of Israel's history stretches about 400 years. Write these dates down. The 400 years. Remember, B.C., before Christ dates, moved backward. So the, the period of the Judges roughly covers from 1450 B.C., 1450 B.C., to about 1050 B.C. So about 400 years we see the period of the Judges. 1450 to 1050 B.C. is roughly the historical period of the Judges of Israel's life. The, the period of the Judges begins when Joshua, the leader into Canaan land, dies. So once Joshua, the great patriarchal leader, dies and Israel is alone, the the period of the judges begins in leadership for Israel. Now, again, most of the judges are contained in the book of Judges in your Old Testament. 
There are 16 of them. I'm not going to give you all 16 names, but if you will pull out that study sheet on our website connected with our study tonight, lesson number 14, all 16 names are there for you to have. And in the book of Judges, it's interesting, some judges are given a very short recognition of their leadership. For example, uh, there's a judge whose name is Elon, E-L-O-N, and he is only given two verses about his leadership of Israel. It's in Judges chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. So poor old Elon, the judge, only gets two verses uh, that's dedicated to his leadership of Israel. However, other judges of the 16 are given longer narratives. Uh, one uh, that uh, is one that's very recognizable and one that's very notable is the Judge Samson. And I'm sure that name rings a bell for you. If you've had uh, a time uh, of Bible study, you recognize the name of Samson. He was one of the judges of Israel during this period of time. His story of judge is in Judges chapter 13, verse 24, through chapter 16, verse 31. So we're looking at three chapters of the book of Judges given to Samson as leader of Israel. And that's a very interesting read. I hope you will read the judgeship of Samson. Again, Judges chapter 13, verse 24, through Judges 16, verse 31. Read about Samson. If you don't read any other judge, read about Samson and refamiliarize yourself with all that he went through and his, uh, his death and what happens upon his death. Interesting reading. Uh, probably of all 16 judges, some of the most familiar to you will be Samson uh, and also Gideon, that name rings a bell, and Samuel should ring a bell with you. They are going to be the three of the most familiar of the 16 judges. The one female judge is Deborah. Maybe that judge will ring a bell with you. But the, the period of the judges uh, ends with the last judge. The 16th judge is Samuel. Now that rings a bell. There are books of the Bible, First and Second Samuel. That's the judge of Israel. Now, we, we need to make note of this story of the last judge of Israel, uh, and his story is in 1 Samuel in your Old Testament. According to the first chapter of 1 Samuel in your Old Testament, a young woman whose name is Hannah goes to the temple, and she prays to God through her own tears for the Lord to open her womb. She had been barren, and she's praying to God at the temple that he would open her womb so that she could have a child. And here's Hannah's prayer. Lord, if you give me a son, if you give me a male child, I will entrust him back to you to be a servant for you. I promise to give that son back to you, Lord. Now, the priest in those days, at that time when Hannah was in the temple, the priest's name was Eli. He was also a judge of Israel. And he misunderstands her as he's watching Hannah pray. He's watching her at the, at the altar, and she's praying, and he sees her lips moving, and he misunderstands what she is doing. He thinks that she's drunk, that she's at the, at the altar completely in the wrong frame of mind, but she explains her plight to him and why she's why she's crying out to the Lord and why she is crying physically, shedding tears to the Lord. And Eli the judge, Eli the judge and the priest, he blesses Hannah. And she does become pregnant. 
with a son. And when that son is weaned, after the days that he is fed, and she brings him back to that temple and back, this is a temple at Shiloh, and she brings him back to old Eli, and she reminds Eli of their meeting somewhat like a year before, and says, do you remember when I was at the altar and I was crying out to God, well, this is the baby, and I'm here to do exactly what I promised you that day that I would do. If I had a child, if God opened my womb, I would entrust that child back to God, back to his service, uh, back to his kingdom's work. And so she leaves her baby, whose name is Samuel, under the care of the priest of the temple, whose name is Eli. And he is to be raised in service to God. Now, Eli is also a father. Eli has two sons. Their names are Hophni and Phinehas. However, these boys, there's no better word to describe them than these boys were absolutely rotten. They were rotten to the core. I don't know how in the world they could have had such a godly father and turned out in such a rotten lifestyle. But they worked in the temple, but they stole from the temple treasury. They threatened people who came into temple services. They even used their position working in the temple to lead young women into immorality with them. They were rotten to the core. And Samuel, this youngster who was growing up under the tutelage and under the priesthood of Eli, he's also living there. So we have Hophni and Phinehas, rotten guys, Eli's son, and then Eli's adoptive son, so to speak, Samuel who's being raised in the service of God as his mother Hannah entrusted him back to God at that temple at Shiloh. Well, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is how God calls Samuel as his son, as God calls Samuel to serve him, as God reveals himself to Samuel. I'm not going to be able to go through this tonight. Time won't permit me to do that. But I want you to write this down. I want you devotionally to read 1 Samuel chapter 3. Read that chapter. It is a beautiful chapter about this young man whose name is Samuel and how God calls him and how he calls him in the night. And as he calls his name, Samuel thinks it's Eli calling him from another room, and he goes in to see what Eli wants. And Eli said, I never spoke your name. I didn't call you. Finally figuring out who is speaking. It's a beautiful story about God calling a life. I want you to read it. Samuel grows up to be a judge. And Samuel also grows up to be a prophet. So there are men in the, as serving as judges of Israel who are somewhat bivocational. Just like Eli, he was a judge of Israel, but he was also a priest of Israel. Samuel is a judge of Israel, but he's also a prophet to Israel, speaking God's word there. He is the last judge. And he's the man, he is the judge who brings another transition into Israel's life. So tonight, in this jet course through Lesson 14, we've just now covered the period of the judges. We've covered 400 years, kind of just like that, in a few minutes. The 16 judges, the first judge, uh, going through the last judge in this, these few minutes. But that final judge, the judge Samuel, brings another transition to Israel. 
And we're going to, in, in lessons to come, study this transition to new leadership in the nation of Israel. Uh, how does Israel move? Well, they move from 16 judges over a course of 400 years to a new period of leadership where they're led by not judges anymore, but by kings. So here's the transition of history. Joshua dies. He is the leader of the nation of Israel as they come into the promised land. Joshua dies. They enter this period of judges for 400 years as they live in the nation of Cana. And then we find out that as the judges' times pass, as the 16 judges live their lives and as they disappear from the scene, kings will now take over. How does Israel make the change from being led by judges to led by kings. Again, I want you to understand, students, that this is probably one of the haziest moments of biblical history that many, many Bible students are totally unaware of, don't understand it. They haven't studied it that deeply. So hang with me. I'm giving you the mountaintops here. I, I pray that it'll drive you on to a little deeper study, but this is the chronological trek that Israel is traveling. They're moving from Joshua to the judges, and now they're going to move to being led by kings. How do they get from the judges to the kings in that transition? Well, it's really very simple. After the last judge, Samuel, and he's still alive, but Israel looks over the rest of the world. And they say, you know, as we look over the rest of the world, as we look over all these other nations, here we are led by judges. We're led by, by men and, and a woman, and they're spokesmen for God. We're led essentially by the hand of God speaking through the judges. But we're looking at the rest of the world, and the rest of the world is not led that way. The rest of the world is, is led by kings. And so we're ready to dispose of this time of the judges and their prophecy and their delivering to us the word of God, ultimately being led by the hand of God through the judges. We don't want that era anymore. We want to be led by kings like the rest of the world. You know, most nations have a king. So we want a king ourselves. We, we want to be ruled like everybody else. We want to have a king for our leader. God has been leading us, Joshua, the judges, but it's time now for us to have a human king like everybody else. We want to transition out of this leadership by God and go to the leadership of a human king. We want to follow the ways of the world. Well, if you remember back early in our study, God wanted to set Israel apart as a special people, as a different people. The Bible calls people who follow God a peculiar people, people who are willing to follow the word and the will and the righteousness and the plan of God in their lives. When God created Israel, he wanted to create a people who were set apart. He called them his chosen people. What were they chosen for? God had created Israel for a purpose. As his chosen people, they weren't to be like everybody else. In fact, they were to stand head and shoulders above everybody else. Because why God created this special family was to be a light to the nations. They were to be under the rulership and the kingship and the headship of God Almighty to be a light to the rest of the world, to show the rest of the world what it's like to live under the righteousness and the hand of God. They weren't supposed to live like the rest of the world. They were supposed to live above the world 
to show the world the living God. They were to be the salt of the world. They were to be the change agents of the world. That's why God created his chosen people. And so when Israel said, we don't want to live under these judges. We don't want to live under the hand of God. We want a king. They were stepping away from the will of God. Do you understand? They were stepping away from what God created them to be as a people. He wanted them to be under his leadership to show the rest of the nations what it's like to be a godly people. And when they said, we want a king, we want to be like everybody else, they were stepping away from God's will. They were stepping away from God's plan for them being his people. Samuel, that last judge, he warned them over and over again. He warned them, if you choose a king, it's a bad decision. It's a terrible decision. You're walking away from your God who created you. To have a king like the rest of the world is a step away from the God who gave you life from the God who's led you by his very hand. And Samuel prays to God. Samuel feels a failure. He says, Lord, I've, I've tried to give the truth to your people. I've tried to lead them back to you. I've tried to lead them back to your leadership. I've tried to lead them back to your dominion as their Lord, as their God, as their king. But they're rejecting me. And I believe that God makes one of the saddest statements recorded in all of the Bible in His Word. I want you to write this reference down. This would be a good reference for you to turn to tonight. Uh, I'm getting ready to end the study tonight. So you can move out of Judges and go to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. Write that reference down. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. I believe this is one of the saddest statements of God in all of the Bible. Samuel prays and says, God, they won't listen to me. God, I've tried to be the judge you want me to be, and they've rejected me. And here's what God says to Samuel in chapter 8, verse 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken to the voice of the people. In other words, let them do what they're going to do. Let them follow their own decision. Hearken to the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me. That I should not reign over them. Isn't that a sad statement? It almost brings chill bumps to me to hear God say, Oh, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. God himself says, no, they've rejected me. They've rejected my leadership over them. God forbid that we would ever reject our God in leading us. Israel rejects the leadership of their holy God to go to the leadership of an earthly king. This decision of Israel leads us to a period of history in Israel called the period of the kings. And that's going to be the basis of our next lesson as we chronologically move through the thread of the Bible. The first king of Israel was King Saul. We'll start that study next week with King Saul, moving away from God's leading to the leading of an earthly king. Now, before I close the study tonight, let me mention the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth lived in this section of time of the judges. Uh, I can't 
go through the book of Ruth with you. It's a great book. It's a great study. I've preached through that book. If you'd like a copy of that, I'll be glad to make sure you get it. But she lived during this time of the Judges. It's a beautiful, beautiful love story, and it introduces a figure of Jesus in the book of Ruth called the Kinsman Redeemer. Uh, It's a beautiful love story, a form of Jesus Christ that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, So as we close this study tonight, God bless you. We close the section of uh, of the Judges, and next week we'll move to the section of Israel's history that starts with their ruling of the kings. God bless you tonight. I hope you've enjoyed the study. I hope you've learned from the study. This is a section that we truly need to to go over specifically as we see how the transitions of Israel come and how Israel makes some missteps in their history. God bless you in that, and I'm grateful we were together. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for opening your word tonight. Bless us. Father, we're, we're in days of history now in the Bible that a lot of biblical students don't quite get, don't understand, haven't studied through. Thank you for my students, Lord. Continue to teach us, show us the truth that we need to hear, Lord. What Israel went through so many years ago, Father, are still temptations for us today. Help us to learn how we stay on the path of righteousness as we study this historical and biblical account of the people of God. We love you, Lord. Thank you for bringing us together. I pray your blessing on everyone who joins me tonight. I pray your blessing on our church. I pray your blessing, Lord, on our ministry that we reach a world that needs you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining me, and good night.